Good morning. Good morning. My name is Josh Govier. I'm one of the pastors and elders here at Chatham. Um, um, so today we are looking at the fourth beatitude or blessing in our series titled Hashtag Blessed. Um, hashtags are a way of classifying what you are talking about on social media to join a larger conversation. So we cleverly titled our sermon series, Hashtag Blessed. Um, so I looked again on, on Facebook just because it's fun. I typed in Hashtag Blessed and to see what it um, comes up with. And here are some of the ones that I found uh, entertaining or telling um, so there are many, many pictures of people on tropical vacations with pictures out their windows and say, this is my view for the morning, hashtag blessed. Um, and yes, it's, it, we are blessed in God's creation and to get away. Um, here's another one where I saw, it was a, a picture of a guy and he was dunking. Um, and he's real high and he said, excuse me while I touch the sky, the air is different up here. Truly hashtag blessed. Um, and then another one of my favorite, if you'll notice, my favorite ones also often involve food, but is there's an old promotion for Wendy's with a chance to win a year's supply of Frosties. And if you won the year of supply of Frosties, you were hashtag blessed. Um, I agree. So what we are looking at today and in this sermon series is what does Jesus consider to be true blessing? Um, what does he think will truly make us happy in life? Um, we're looking at the fourth beatitude found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Uh, if you're using the Black Pew Bible in front of you, that's found on page um, 809. If you don't have a Bible or if someone you know doesn't have a Bible, please uh, take one of ours and, and give it to them or take it for yourself. We'd love you to have it and be able to read God's word um, whenever you have the chance. So, um, as I said last week, I really like the logical connections that we see in the Beatitudes, where one blessing leads to another blessing. Um, it really helps me to understand them better. Um, so we start with the very first one, going, going back a couple of weeks, that uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, or if you have poverty of spirit, you are blessed, you'll be happy. We see that only when we rightly see ourselves as empty, as bringing nothing to the table, nothing to offer to God, um, will we be filled, will we be satisfied, because we realize we are fully dependent on God. And we look to Him as the fulfiller of all our needs, and as we look to Him, we rightly see Him as holy, and we rightly see ourselves as broken. And we see our sin, and this causes us to mourn, which is the second blessing is blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. We look around us and we see the sin in the world and in ourselves and it causes mourning, it causes sadness, and it causes pain. But we don't stop with pain. We look back to Jesus as our only hope for fixing the brokenness. We look back to Jesus um, as our hope to fix sin and to bring us back to himself and therefore we are comforted. Um, as we are comforted, uh, we realize that we can trust fully in Jesus, and this leads us to meekness. Blessed are those who are meek, where we no longer feel the need and desire to defend ourselves or to fight back for revenge, but we fully trust in God for his uh, justice 
in his love for us, that he is truly good. This takes us to the fourth beatitude. And the first three, um, they all kind of focus, they're, they're said in a, a negative way. Those who are poor in spirit doesn't sound happier. Those who mourn or um, the meek, more of, they're getting us to look at ourselves and see that we don't have anything. That we are empty. Um, and as we see that we are desperately um, in need for Jesus and for a Savior... This begins to change our desires. So this takes us to the fourth blessing. Uh, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So here we begin to see our desires begin to change. So my outline goes like this. Uh, First, we're going to talk about hunger and thirst. What does it mean to be hungry or thirsty? Um, Then we're going to look at what will satisfy us. We all long for something. Um, what will satisfy us? And then finally, we'll look at righteousness. So first hunger and thirst, then what will satisfy, and then um, finally righteousness. So we'll start by talking a little bit about what we desire, what we long for, what we hunger and thirst for. So Martin Lloyd-Jones says it like this. To hunger and thirst means a deep consciousness of our great need, even to the point of pain. Hunger is something deep and profound that goes on until it's satisfied. It hurts. It is painful. It is something that goes on increasing and makes us feel desperate. Something that causes suffering and agony. To hunger and thirst. It's more than a passing desire, right? So it's more than me saying like, man, I'm hungry for some pizza. Because pizza is always good and I'm always hungry for pizza. But I'll settle for a cheeseburger because it's just as good. Um, But hungering and thirsting means that you will pursue what you desire at all costs. Something that you don't have and you won't be satisfied or appeased until you have it. Nothing else can replace it or rival it. Now, thankfully, I've never known true physical hunger. Um, The closest thing I've ever experienced was a 30-hour famine, um, which really is not very long. But we look at Jesus, and Jesus knew hunger. Before his public ministry, he fasted for 40 days. Um, And then at the end of his fasting, the devil came and tempted him. And one of the temptations involved food, which makes sense, right? This guy hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's probably going to be hungry. It's a good way to tempt him. Um, Jesus responds to this particular temptation by saying, Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. I think it's fair to say that Jesus was hungry after his um, fasting, that he desired food, that he was thirsty. But I think it's more fair to say that what he hungered for was righteousness. What he longed for was righteousness, and he longed to please his Father. So the goal of being hungry is to be filled. The goal of being thirsty is for your thirst to be quenched. Um, you need something, and until you get it, you won't be satisfied. So was, very quickly, that was uh, hunger and thirst. So I want to move on to um, being satisfied. There are many things in life that promise satisfaction. 
that promise happiness, that promise joy. And I want to look at two things that promise happiness. Uh, The first is sin. Sin promises to satisfy all your desires. Sin says if you just get this one thing, you'll be happy. If you do this, you'll be content. Sin tells us that God is withholding something good from us. Or uh, that there is something better out there than God. So we look all the way back to Genesis 3. um, We see this very clearly shown. The serpent comes to Adam and Eve and he says, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree? He starts by getting Eve to doubt God and his goodness. Did he really say you can't have this? Does he really want to withhold good things from you? Then in Genesis um, 3, verse 6, it says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. This is the reality of sin. It tells us it will deliver happiness. It will give us what we want. And it looks good. If we're honest with ourselves, why do we sin? We sin because we want to. We sin because we like it. If sin was just, hey, stick your hand in this fire, it would not take very long for us to realize this is not good. I'm not going to do that again because it hurts. But... Sin, it it doesn't always present itself as a raging fire. It presents itself as a beautiful fruit that looks good and it's desired to make one wise. But if we look further on, um, the devil promised happiness, that you get something better than God. Um, But what happens? In verse 8, Adam and Eve, after they had eaten, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Instead of delivering on what it promised, on happiness and satisfaction and and everything you could possibly want, what it gave is shame. What it gave was guilt and sorrow. What it gave was separation from God. This is what sin does. It promises satisfaction, but it delivers emptiness. In Jeremiah, God says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Instead of being satisfied with God, who is the fountain of living water, we look for fulfillment in sin or broken cisterns. Really, this gets to the essence of what sin is. There's many short definitions that are helpful in defining sin, and and here's one that I've found helpful um, for me, is that sin is looking for fulfillment or happiness, um, looking to please ourselves with anything but God. Or John Piper puts it simply like this, sin is loving anything more than you love God. This particular definition I find very helpful um, because it guards me against moralism. It guards me against thinking, as long as I don't do bad things, 
And as long as I do good things, then my relationship with God is okay. Because this definition tells me that um, even if I'm doing something good, if my desire is for something other than Christ, it is sin. Um, It helps me stay focused on God and not myself and what I do. So it, it makes me realize that good things can become sin. Paul in Romans 1, verse 25, um, says this, or starting, sorry, starting in verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And jumping down a few verses, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Sin exchanges the glory of God for the glory of man. Sin worships creation instead of the creator. So we take the truth that Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We take that truth and we exchange it for a lie that says, God keeps joy from you. God keeps happiness from you. True pleasure is found in the things of the world. And because of that, we worship the creation instead of the creator. We worship our own glory instead of the glory of God. Just a couple of examples on that. Um, Take, for example, lust or sexual desire. We take something good that God has given us of sexual desire, and then we say, this is the best thing. This is the most important thing, and only it will satisfy you. This is the sin of lust. This says whether it's sex outside of marriage or looking at porn or fantasizing or even sex with your spouse, it says that this is what is important. This is what will satisfy you and nothing else can. But the truth is, is that lust is just a broken cistern. It can't hold water. It will never satisfy you. In fact, as we worship sex, whatever that is through lust, Um, It leaves you feeling broken and dirty and wanting more but never satisfied. If you look for your pleasure and joy, if you hunger and thirst for sex or anything other than God, you won't be satisfied. Or take another quick example. Take greed. Greed uh, says, as long as I have stuff, I'll be happy. And now there's nothing wrong with stuff. God has created stuff. He's given us stuff, but it says, um, as long as I have this stuff, whatever it is, then I'll be happy. But it doesn't take long to realize this is not the case, that that we are not satisfied with stuff or money. Um, Apple, the company Apple, has really capitalized on this idea of stuff will make you happy. Apple says you will only be happy if you have the newest iPhone. For a while, their ad campaign was... If it's not an iPhone, it's not an iPhone. Meaning, only an iPhone is everything that you want, everything that you need. Uh, Only an iPhone can give you what you truly desire. So you go, you save up for six months, um, and finally you can afford an iPhone. And then what happens? In another six months, there's a new iPhone. 
that you have to have because it is what you want. And if it's not the newest iPhone, then it's not the newest iPhone. Now, and this is not to say don't buy iPhones, um, but it shows that how easily we believe the lie that stuff will satisfy us. Stuff will give us what we truly want. The reality is, is an iPhone is a broken cistern that doesn't hold water. It's a great tool, um, but if we find our joy in having the newest and the best, um, we won't be filled. A lie that I am often tempted to believe, or, or maybe that I believe most often, is I will be truly happy, I will be satisfied when I can relax. When I can sit down on my couch and I don't have any responsibilities, then I'll be happy. How long does that last? Not very long. Um, the reality is, is after you, you can only relax for so long until you want something to do. You need something to do. We've been created to work. As I sit and relax, um, I realize that it's, it's not the end-all, be-all, and it's, it's maybe not even what I thought it was going to be. I worked really hard all day to go home and stay on my couch, and when I get to my couch, I get bored. This is an interesting concept. We live in a time where there is endless entertainment, from Netflix to smartphones, from sports to video games, yet we're bored. We're always looking for something to do, something next to stimulate us. The reality is, is all the entertainment and stimulation in the world can't satisfy you, doesn't satisfy you. Now, the scariest thing to me is not only that we believe these lies, that something else can satisfy us, uh, but the scary thing is that we often think we are satisfied with these things. We often think that stuff or money or relaxing or sex is what satisfies us. C.S. Lewis says it like this in his sermon titled, The Weight of Glory. He says, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the reward promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. I really love the way that Lewis puts it. When we think we are satisfied with things like sex or money or stuff or family or friends, or whatever, it's only because we don't know the joy and happiness and satisfaction of Jesus. It's because our desires for happiness are too weak, and we settle for things that are lesser. Now, I want to get to the other thing that promises to satisfy, Jesus. Jesus connects this idea of broken cisterns being replaced by living water in John 4, as he encounters a woman at a well. It says this, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is this that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says that I'm the fountain of living water that Jeremiah talks about. Nothing else will hold water to me. Come to me and you'll be satisfied. Come to me and you will be filled. You will have joy and pleasure and contentment. Or uh, St. Augustine says it like this. Thou hast made us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. The beautiful thing is that our Creator has created us so that we will be the happiest, we will be the most joyful, we will be blessed when we love and worship Him, when we bring Him glory, when we enjoy His presence, we will be the most happy and the most satisfied. Now, there are many stories, even from people here, who go through terrible things like sickness or disease or loss of family or persecution from people around the world, Um, many who will tell you, even with tears in their eyes, that Jesus is enough, that he does satisfy. When everything in the world is taken away and all you have is Jesus, you have everything that you need. Because he is the only one that satisfies. Now I want to spend some time considering how we get to Jesus. If Jesus is the only one that satisfies, if sin and Jesus promise satisfaction, but sin lies and Jesus tells the truth, how do we get Jesus? To answer that question, I want to turn our attention to righteousness. Now, Um, Very quickly, righteousness is not morality. We don't hunger and thirst to be moral people. We don't hunger and thirst for other people to be moral people. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a difference. Well, what is righteousness? To put it simply, righteousness means to be right with God. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is the same thing as hungering and thirsting to be right with God. This is where the gospel breaks in. This is the good news that people who look for their satisfaction in things that don't satisfy. This is the good news that says people who worship the creation instead of the creator. That says the people who exchange the glory of God for the glory of man. They can know God. They can be satisfied. They can be made righteous or made right with God. This is the news of the gospel that Jesus comes in um, and through his life, death, and resurrection brings us to himself 
and reconciles us to him. Now, this hungering and thirsting of righteousness is not something that we can do, but only something that God does for us. You see, we start with the very first beatitude that says we bring nothing to God, which means you can't on your own hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's impossible. Naturally, what you will hunger and thirst for are broken cisterns of sin. That's what our hearts desire until Jesus comes in and changes our desires. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says this, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is where we start naturally. You were dead, meaning you were unable to change your situation. A dead person can do nothing. You were unable to change your desires and your longings. You were unable to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But then comes two of the most impactful words in Scripture. But God. Here comes the good news. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But God. God is merciful and made you alive. God comes and changes our hearts and changes our desires. Jesus comes and makes us righteous, makes us right with God through his life, death, and resurrection. As Jesus dies on the cross, if you believe in him, he dies for your sin. In exchange, he gives you his perfect record, his righteousness, so that when God looks at you, instead he sees Jesus. Jesus comes and he shows us that all this other stuff, sex and money and food, friends and family, will never truly satisfy. But Jesus says, I will give you living water and you will be satisfied. His gospel that was once foolish and offensive to you becomes sweet and savory. Now, you may be listening and think, this sounds great. Right? Changing of my desires so I don't hunger and thirst for sin, but I can truly be satisfied. But I'm a Christian, and I love Jesus, and I really do love Jesus. But sometimes, many times, I still long for things that don't satisfy. I still struggle. I am still drawn towards sin. If Jesus comes and makes us right with God and changes our desires, how can we still struggle with sin? Here we get into the reality of what theologians call the already and not yet. At the moment of conversion, at the moment of belief, you are declared righteous by God through Jesus' death and resurrection, but you are not yet perfect. We struggle with sin. We must go through the process of sanctification or the process of being made holy or you could say becoming like Jesus. This is a process that goes on and it won't end until we see Christ in glory. 
The question is not, um, do you hunger and thirst for things that don't satisfy? The question is, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you desire to be holy? Do you desire to be free from sin? Or, um, here's one, do you desire to be free from your desire for sin? Do you know that you desire sin, but you hate it? And you want to not desire sin anymore? As we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we see and savor Jesus. We will begin to hate our sin more and more. Sin will become less and less appealing. This doesn't mean that we reach perfection here on the earth. As Paul says in Philippians 3, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We press on towards Jesus, and he changes our desires and our thinking. Instead of worshiping the creation, we worship the creator. When we think about sex, it's no longer our pursuit and our joy. Instead, when rightly placed, it's an act of worship, meant to be enjoyed and glorify God. When we think about food, it's no longer what cheers us up on a bad day. It's no longer the thing that, that we crave and, and need because it satisfies us. But when we think rightly about it, and this is one of my favorite things, eating food is an act of worship. Um, when we think about money and stuff, we know that it won't satisfy us. We're thankful for what God gives us, but we, like the Apostle Paul, say, I've learned to be content in plenty or in want because Jesus is my treasure, not stuff. We continue to hunger and thirst, but we are always satisfied. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says it like this. You see, the Christian is one who at one and the same time is hungering and thirsting, yet he is filled. And the more he is filled, the more he hungers and thirsts. That is the blessedness of the Christian life. You reach a certain stage in sanctification, but you do not rest upon that fact For the rest of your life, you go on changing from glory to glory till heaven we take our place. This is a continual process where we go on and on, always hungering and thirsting, but yet always being filled and being satisfied. The more we see Jesus and treasure him and and savor him, the more we want him. The more we desire him, the more he fills us. He is the living water that we don't go thirsty from. Now, um, I want to look outwards a little bit. Because we know how to be satisfied, because we know where to get living water, we have the joy and the privilege to tell others where to get living water, where to get satisfaction. We have the joy to tell other people about Jesus. It was famously put like this. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. See, we're a beggar who found bread. We were hungry, but now we have an abundance of food. We have the source of food. And we have the privilege to tell others where this source of food is. What we don't do, continuing this analogy of a beggar, is we go to someone else who is starving and we say, hey, we know where food is, but take a shower. You stink. Shave. 
Put on a suit or a nice dress. Then you can go get food. That would be ridiculous. Someone who is starving needs food, not a shower. Now, moving away um, from that illustration, we see our goal is not to have people act like they are righteous. Not to see people living moral lives, but to show people Jesus. You see, if we start with the morality and say, you need to do this, you need to live a certain way, we miss Jesus. And we miss the point of the Beatitudes that say, we bring nothing to Jesus. We start and end with grace. That after people meet Jesus, as he does for us, their desires will begin to change. And they will begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be declared righteous by the death and resurrection of Jesus and their desires will be changed to love him more. This is our charge. This is our goal. As we make disciples, this is what we're doing. Making disciples of Jesus, telling people, here's how to be satisfied. Here's the only way to be made right with Jesus, to be made right with God. It's through his death and resurrection. Nothing you can do will make you right. But here's a free gift. Here's the bread. Here's the source of life itself. Here's Jesus. Now, one of the ways that we are filled is by partaking in the Lord's Supper together. This reminds us that Jesus is the spring of living water. As we eat the bread, we remember man doesn't live on bread alone, but by the very word of God. We remember that Jesus is the bread of life. As we drink the cup, we remember that only Jesus satisfies. As we partake, we remember that sin lies, and it will never satisfy. It can't deliver on what it promises. We remember what it took for our desires to be changed. Remember the death and resurrection of Jesus that makes us righteous. Now, we'll partake in communion the normal way here by coming forward, and you can come forward and take the bread and the cup while you're here, or if you need more time, you can take it back to your seat and take there. Um, If you are in the balconies, please come forward um, where you are. There are tables set up in the balcony so that you don't have to come down. If you are new here um, or you are unable to come forward, please raise your hand and one of our elders will bring uh, the bread and the cup to you. Uh, If you are new, if you can't come forward, make sure you raise your hand high so that we can do that and that we see you. Now, um, a, a warning to take communion in the right spirit um, and in the right way. If this doesn't describe you, if you don't hunger and thirst for Jesus, if your desires are not for God but for other things, meaning if, if you have not been changed by the gospel, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, and you don't believe, then this is not for you. Don't come forward and take communion because everyone else is doing it. There's something much more important that you need to do, which is consider and look to Jesus. That he loves you. That he sent his son to die for you. 
If he calls you to repent and believe and receive him. That's what you do during this time. Um, for those of us that, that are Christians, as we come, um, confess your sin of longing for things other than Jesus. Confess your sin of not being satisfied with him, of thinking there's something better. And then look to him and see that he does satisfy. If you're wondering, does he really satisfy? Just look at him. Taste him. Try it, and and you will see that he does. So um, go ahead and pray with me, and then we'll take. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that um, worshiping you starts and ends with grace, that we bring nothing to offer to you, but that you come and you make us righteous through your son's death and resurrection. Lord, forgive us as we look for fulfillment, as we look for satisfaction in anything but you. Forgive us when we wrongly think that something else is better. Show us the places in life where we um, leave you uh, and worship creation rather than the creator. God, continue changing our hearts. Continue changing our desires to love you more, to be satisfied in you. I pray that you show yourself to us, and as we see you, um, our response will be worship, our response will be repentance, and our response will be belief in you and you alone. Ask all of these things in your name. Amen.